Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down having a chat with Simon Gupta, Chief Executive Officer of award-winning PR agency One Green Bean. Welcome, Simon. Thank you for having me here. It's good to be here on this sunny Friday afternoon. Well, look, I was really looking forward to this conversation because you have built a career, from what I can tell, that is balanced and integrated PR and advertising, the first challenge, because I think it is a challenge, but we'll get to that. And secondly, you've also been a practitioner in three major markets, apart from Australia, also London and the and the US, yeah. correct? Yes, correct. I've been very fortunate. I always say that. One of the things I have loved the most um, about working in agency land, apart from the people, they are my, they're my first love, the people that I've worked with, has been that it has been a career that I've been able to take around the world. You know, so it's what first brought me to Australia. And then I was fortunate enough um, to work for Zing, who had an office in LA. And I went over there and uh, about 13 years ago, helping Australian brands launch into the US from the West Coast. And then went back to the homeland and I spent seven years in London and arrived back on these sunny shores in January of this year. Three weeks later, we went into lockdown. (laughs) I was going to say great moments in poor timing. You know, you've arrived back in Australia and then the uh, COVID pandemic hits. But in some ways, some would argue that uh, better to be in Sydney than uh, in London at the moment. I mean, I do feel very fortunate that I spent lockdown with um, my five-year-old twins in uh, walking distance from Bondi Beach um, than in uh, Hammersmith in London. Um, <laughs> there are worse places there are in worse the world. There are worse places. The, uh, the grandmas, however, would disagree with me, mm. although they are quite glad we're here. But yes, it's been a... It, it, I think we've, I've, we've done pretty well and I'm glad that we've... Uh, seen the intense COVID period out in Australia. Now, Simon, the reason I said about PR and advertising, so there's being uncomfortable bedfellows. Has that been your experience of the world? Well, do you know, it hasn't been my experience. I have had really great experiences, which I'm I'm having now at Havas Group, um, sitting very closely and sharing the strategic planning partner with uh, Laura's team at Host Havas. Um, I have had the experience of being a, a PR business that sits very integrated in an advertising group. Um, I had that with Mango and DDB in Australia. And even um, when I was at Ogilvy PR in London, under Michael Frolish, who was the head of the PR business then, but is now head of the group, you know, that was the beginning of his journey, really bringing the advertising digital PR businesses together in a very integrated way. And through, I mean, probably the same again, is the people leading those particular vision, integrated visions and parts of those businesses, you know, Chris Brown at DDB, Michael at Ogilvy, and now sort of the whole leadership team at Havas has made, I found it, it has made some of the consumer PR we're doing much more robust, much more interesting, um, really coming up with cross-discipline ideas that can be executed 
you know, agnostically through the channels. It's like I, I've had a, a positive experience, but I do understand that but, some of my peers have felt in cross agency, you know, cross agency panels that sometimes were battling with the media agency or the advertising agency. But on the whole, my experience has been very positive. I was going to say, because uh, otherwise uh, you would almost be like the mythical unicorn that, uh, you know, has gone along through the world in a bubble. Because, you know, we often hear of and, and clients saying to us that, you know, sometimes it's like the agency-led PR, which feels more like it's support for the advertising, or it's PR-led advertising, which then seems to, you know, not work either. What is the magic? What's the mix that makes the two work from your experience? Can you give us the secret oh, ingredient? I, you know, I don't think it's a secret. I think it. I, I think that the, there is part process and but the number one thing is the people and the actual willingness to make something an integrated piece of work work and you know and that can come from the client side as well that they really want to if they are driving an integrated team to very much work together i've always I've, my experience has always been as well that the strategic planning process is really where the key of where you can get it right or get it wrong and um I've been very fortunate to work with some in Australia to work with some of the best planners in Australia. You know, Ollie Taylor, who I know was on here last week. You know, I put very much into his planning team across the OGB's own clients and the integrated clients as well. And you know, the same at, at, the same when I was at DDB Group. So I, I think that the strategic planners are more key than the creatives and where the ideas come from. What I have seen over the last ten years is. PR agencies trying to mirror the structure of advertising agencies, and that hasn't always worked. So having a creative department, a planning department, a suit department, for want of a better old-fashioned word, mm. um, and... An account management. An account management department. And, um, and I haven't seen that work brilliantly. I think that PR practitioners have to be able to think about strategy, creative, and client relationship simultaneously. Well, I think and also because it, it, the output of a PR practitioner may be you know, an event, it may be a relationship, yeah. it may be, you know, there's so many different outputs, whereas advertising agencies, while they think of themselves as quite diverse, yeah. are largely producing advertising, aren't they? Yes, less so these days, but yes. Well, give me an example of where they're not producing advertising. I mean, I'll give you a recent example from Host Havas, which was the, you know, the Air New Zealand letter to George R. R. Martin. Mm. You know, come and have your writing retreat. For, uh, and I would I, that to me is not an ad. That's sort of a PR at the heart of the idea. You know, it's where. A brand intersects with culture, which is where the interesting stories are. You Absolutely. Know. And I'm sure for that one example, I could probably find you <laughs> 10 to 20, maybe 100 pieces of advertising they've produced. Yeah. Don't take any exception <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, say yeah. that's the rule. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? Yeah. Largely advertising agencies, their whole business model is about producing advertising. Yeah. Now, it could be that out of those ideas, other opportunities arise. Yes. The difference for me is that PR companies 
do have multiple strings. And in some ways, it's a strength and a weakness. Mm. Because, you know, if people think of PR as just media relations or just stakeholder, you know, stakeholder relations or government relations or whatever, or events or social media, you know, there's suddenly all these areas that PR can play in and does and should play in. But it becomes like such a generalist view that it becomes difficult, I think, for a lot of marketers to really understand what is the role of PR. Do you think? Do you agree? Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that the, because PR does end up in so many different executions channels, is that it it can be almost a challenge for PR people and PR businesses to position themselves. It within, can. Within an organisation. and I think Like if I go to and see, if I want an advertising agency, I can go and find an advertising agency. But most people will end up with a PR agency because, oh, well, they do social, but they can also do a bit of this and yeah. a bit of, you know. And it's it's a bit like the generalist that can do a bit of everything. Instead of going to the plumber or the electrician, I go to the handyman. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I understand what you're saying. I still feel that... PR businesses, the good ones that are out there, and we've got some brilliant ones in this market, um, but some that are part of global networks and some that are independent, you know, so the, the, you know, part of global network, you know, Edelman and Michelle Hutton over there doing an excellent job at being able to do a couple of things. Ultimately, the end goal for what PR is trying to achieve is to build trust and reputation, and we can do it through these channels. And I think that's the thinking that has to be in the heart of the agency, which sometimes isn't in the heart of an ad agency. You know, that one of the, one of the key goals is to build brand love and reputation, but mainly to sell products. Whereas PR, the number one goal really is to build trust and reputation. And then off the back of that, you will grow a business. And so there's, it, it's it's kind of subtle in a way, but that's what I think the different kind of thinkers, the different kind mm. of thinking is between the two disciplines. See, and, and in that I yeah. see a conundrum because yeah. uh, almost every agency you talk to, even the, the best strategists, will talk about brand strategy. Yeah. Whereas a PR person doesn't always talk about brands, they talk about reputation. And I think the two are almost the same thing. It's just a different perspective. If your company is the same name as the product or service you own, then the brand and the corporate reputation are inextricably linked in the consumer's mind. The consumer's not going, oh, well, that company is this and the product or service I buy is completely different because that's a brand. Yeah. They don't think that way. No, they don't. And and you're exactly right. So why do agencies talk that way and why do PR people talk that way? Well, is it just historical? I think that some of it probably is historical, but also or hysterical. I, I mean, <laughs> there's another word that comes that comes up that I don't. I'm not. I'm not quite sure whether I'm a fan of it or not, which is called corpse humor PR. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where the two things you're talking about meet, because you're exactly right. Consumers don't see the difference. They're not thinking about Unilever versus Dove when they're buying you know, some shower gel, hmm. right? And um, that all said, 
right? When you look at some of the recent research, you know, some stuff that's come from, from our Havas Global research around brands is... Which is terrific, by the way. Yeah, which is brilliant research, is, which is that most people wouldn't care if 77% of brands disappeared out of their lives, mm. right? That's a lot of brands. Considering so, you know, the amount of time, money and effort yes, that goes into yeah. building these things. So, you know, what you know, our aim obviously is to work with that. There's, there's 23% of brands or build those 23% of brands. You know, we do. You know, I work with brands that are so meaningful. Nike is, is created meaning of a decades yeah. or, you know, or to work with the 70 odd percent yeah, and, help, and help them become and help them become the you ones know, that people do care like about. after pay yeah that's a, a, another uh, recent client of ours but then then you look at sort of if you look at um, Edelman's trust barometer that they did I mean they're most yeah. they did a little spring pulse in during COVID but you know and people don't want brands in their lives the trust in, in, in corporations has went down to an all-time low. It did actually shoot a bit in, in, during COVID. But one of the things that did come out, and it comes out of all research, is that people still expect a lot from corporations and brands or the brands they represent. They expect a lot. They expect corporations to do good and to help the communities that they're operating in. Right. So then, you know, so that's when you go, well, PR... What's the goal of it? Building trust, building reputation, ensuring that that corporations do play this role within communities and, and helping communicate those messages. So I don't know where I'm I've now sort of gone a bit around the houses from the original question, like why do we talk about reputation and advertisers talk about brand? I think they are now one and the same thing because people do see value having brands certain brands in their lives they also have have spoken you know quite loudly that they want corporations to do the right thing so brand you know brand love and reputation they are they they have a lot of gray area in crossover look an example i've often used is Qantas yeah right so Alan Joyce made some decisions a few years ago that would eventually mean that Qantas became a, a, you know, a successful and stable airline. I mean, it's even weathering this storm. Yeah. You know? So, but he made decisions that at the time, the, you know, he grounded the fleet mm. for a week, I think it was. Now, from a brand point of view, oh, catastrophe. From a corporate reputation point of view, quite positive because the story was I'm doing this to make this company sustainable in the long term. Exactly. Okay? I'm so to, so I'm see, how to... the two, see how the two can work against each other because where the brand name and the corporate name are the same, yeah. they are in, inextricably linked yeah. and the two need to be managed. Yeah. Where you've got Unilever is the corporate name yes, and have. then a whole lot of brands or yeah. products yeah. that are underneath it, then, yes, there is some link. And, you know, you notice uh, companies like P&G and Unilever sticking a little logo on the yes. end frame. But to me, that's for the shareholders. Yeah. That's to remind the shareholders, yeah. oh, we own that brand and that brand and that brand yeah. more than anything else. I'm glad you brought Alan Joyce up because he's one of my heroes particularly over the last uh, six months. And, you know, when we talk about trust and corporations doing the right thing, like I, I listen to what he has to say on, on what we should do next with borders and the business in Australia more than anybody that, you know, and I was really pleased that, you know, that they're on this 
this task force that's driving you know outcomes over the next few months and um but yeah if you look at how he has behaved as the you know the front face of Qantas which is the brand you know he's done considering the decisions he's had to make and the lives he's impacted but he has been you know there every day mm-hmm. 8:30 every day he spoke to all of his staff every day he you know he um demystified some of the good things that were coming out of government that people didn't understand he talked about job keepers he like he he every day that something where there was an announcement made he spoke to his staff every morning and and has then also spoken to you know Australians at large and i i i think from a corporate reputation despite what Qantas is going through he has done a fantastic job upholding that reputation absolutely agree i remember yeah. sitting in a virtually empty Qantas lounge and saw on TV that he was making announcements about the number of people that they were having to stand down, but that he'd done uh, this, you know, had conversations with his peers in the industry and had found work at Woolworths and other companies that he clearly had relationships yeah. with so that those people wouldn't be just thrown into unemployment. Yeah. You know, here's a highly trained and skilled services workforce yeah. And he actually had gone to the trouble of finding them, you know, rather than just saying, well, you know, thanks very much, we're standing you down for three months. It had gone to that. I think, you know, but this is where um, brand and corporate reputation are inextricably linked. They are. That CEOs have to recognise that they have an essential role in the health of the brand beyond just protecting the reputation. And I did that in air quotes, protecting the reputation. The the so you made a good point, and that just made me think of something when you said the CEO, and from a client perspective, agency client perspective, from that kind, the relationships that we have with a comms team that have a line into the CEO rather than into the CMO. Uh, usually have, I think we have in sometimes better experiences of being able to get really good quality substantial work out. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, it doesn't always work because you still want that, you know, a senior director of comms to have a really good relationship with the marketing team so that when it comes to the um, overall marketing strategy that they are closely interlinked with what is happening and integrated into the PR. But when you when there is a direct line into the CEO where that comms team, which you know Qantas will be a good example of that, and and you also mentioned Woolworths, so I thought they have behaved impeccably um, through COVID, um, the way they've managed the initiatives they've done for the communities that they operate in, and how they've communicated, you know, regularly, openly, the changes they've made, um, and just keeping that communication going, and. The, re- the relationship between the comms team and the CEO is really, really important. Mm. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because technically, if the CEO is setting corporate strategy yeah. and the corporate comms team are managing the corporate communications yes. of that strategy, and then there's marketing over here, marketing should also be built off the corporate strategy because the role of marketing is to build customers. Yes aligned to the corporate strategy. 
Now, if the two aren't aligned, and I, you, you see it where if corporate strategy is more about short-term shareholder value and marketing is about long-term customer value, the two can easily be misaligned. Mm, yeah. So it's really interesting. I had someone explain to me once, I said, why do, why do uh, marketing and corporate comms so rarely get along? And they said, well, the two are at absolute dipoles apart. Yes. Because corporate communications is largely about reputation protection, minimising risk, whereas marketing is largely driven by creating risk because you're focusing on new and different and innovation and that type of thing. And so the two have fundamentally different purposes. One is about driving growth and the other is protecting value. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Yeah. And also the other thing that I, I think is, which you just touched on then, is that I think there's always got to be that tension between corporate reputation and you know marketing innovation, say at the sales division. But also it's back to you know the thing that you said about the, the agent uh, on the agency side, what makes really good integrated work work. It is still back down to the people as well. I mean how uh, how a corporation is structured and like you said how how much of that marketing and uh, the corp comms comes off a sort of central strategy but also just the willingness of the people involved to make it work and want it to work i mean that is a really big part of it well i think it's the willingness that what drives that from my experience, is the willingness of people to realise that no one knows everything or no one has all the answers, that some great strategies can actually come out of PR, that you could get a strategic insight from PR or it could come from the strategy team or it could come creatively. But then when you have that, it's about aligning to it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. what makes people work well together is working towards a common and agreed goal. Yeah. And I think that's probably wherever we're seeing it not work. Yeah. Because has this ever happened to you? you know, and and some, uh, some people I've spoken with that have worked in PR in agencies like yeah. you have said, the creatives have come up with this amazing idea and the creative agency just want us to get lots of coverage. Yeah. So it's basically you're the media relations. Just get us some press coverage yeah. for the fact that we did this campaign and won these yeah. awards. Can you PR the ad? That's yeah. like, hey, we've got this ad. Can you PR it? Usually the answer is no. So what's the what what is driving that? That you think that PR has been reduced to being media relations. Just, you know what? I think it, it sometimes it's just really simple, like education and experience. I mean, you won't get a, you in the businesses that I've worked in re, most recently. It's unlikely that you would get an experienced ECD or senior creative or somebody at that level that would still be asking that question. Um, but there's still education. You know, there is still taking people through the education process of. Look, this is what PR. What this is what we do. This is the services we offer. We also. This is where if you would involve us at the beginning of the process, then we can together create an idea that lives comfortably in lots of channels, and it isn't just about PRing an ad. Um, that we are people that do have a good understanding of strategy that can come up with ideas as well 
and can you know give you give give you some of that insight into you know where do brands meet culture because that's really where we're working all the time, particularly in the in the business that I'm in. So I think that part of it is just education. I mean, I do feel like I've been talking to people for most of my life trying to explain what PR is. Started with my mum. <laughs> and I don't know whether hard, she still it? knows what I do. So <laughs> so so yeah, I do feel like that's sort of an ongoing, an ongoing uh, conversation that I'm having with people. And do you think it's a different conversation when you're working in a PR function like you have that's part very closely integrated into the agency, such as Mango, such yeah. as One Green Bean? Yeah. Or compared to, you know, because you've also worked at, was it Edelman and, uh, and uh, you know, some of the other um, big corporate PR companies? Yeah, yeah, I worked for PPR quite oh, a yeah, few PPR, years ago that's in the Australia one I was at Edelman. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I feel like I, I have a much better relationship with sort of cross-discipline teams and, you know, I mean, we don't just work with the agencies within Havas, of course, you know, I can work with a special group and Lindsay Evans on some clients and, you know, we're working with the monkeys and others. Um, but I do feel that I have got a much better understanding of them and them of us. I mean... It, it's kind of, you know, I feel like I'm talking about something kind of cliched, which is what's going on today at a more macro global scale, is that just different groups of people understanding and empathising with each other about what they do. And I think that me being in these groups, me being in the DDB group and now, has given me a really good understanding about how everything operates and how we can work better together, that maybe if you're not sitting in a group, you don't have that um insight in in the same way i mean there's a lot of really great clients who bring re, you know bring the talent together across teams and 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 you know i've seen great work come just driven by that by a client who is pulling all of their agency talent together briefing in a really great integrated way being really clear on expectations being really clear on how the stages they want to go through to see the creative work the strategy the creative work and the execution that involves all key players from the beginning of a process. And, and great work comes from that. Mm. I'm just but, wondering if part of this is a lot of the companies you've worked for have had a very consumer-focused PR. Yes, yeah. and, and that's, and, that's, but, but that's it, the world I'm in. You yeah. know, I, I wouldn't, I've never delved into the world of, like, public affairs, government relations. You know, when I, I, did, I did a short stint at Edelman in London and they've got, you know, a really robust public affairs team. I was going to say Edelman yeah. and PPR. PPR. Yeah, yeah. And they, also, because these bigger PR companies do have multidisciplinary teams. You know? Yeah. They have crisis management and government yeah. relations and all the other PR services. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, they've got they're different teams that are not, you know, a public affairs team that is working, you know, building stakeholder relationships with government and talking about policy changes and that kind of thing, they don't need to be integrated into an advertising campaign. No. So, so they're in, they're in a, as playing in a slightly different field to the work that I've done. Though I did have a personal experience when I was working at, uh, working as a copywriter. Yeah. 
And uh, in Victoria, there was a huge gas fire in a gas plant and uh, Victoria had no gas for uh, weeks. And I was called in by the associated PR company as part of the holding company because they wanted to write a thank you to Victorians for being understanding. But it had to be written in a way, and we had lawyers and, and, and crisis management people. There was like this huge table on me as the writer. And after about three days of drafting and redrafting, I said, basically, you want to say thank you and we're sorry without admitting that you did something wrong. Is that is that pretty much? And they, well, yes, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're sitting in a room writing a, a sorry letter with lawyers in it, then yes, that is most likely the, what, the, what the goal of that one is. Yeah. yeah I, I just wondered why I was there. They could have drafted it very well themselves. No one would have read it, but I don't think anyone read the one that I wrote anyway. Look, um, it's interesting as well because you've worked in the UK. Well, yes. you're from the UK. Yeah, yeah. You've Yorkshire. worked there. Yeah. You've worked in Australia yeah. and you've worked in the US. Yes. Do you see, what are the similarities first? And, and then we'll talk about the differences. What are the similarities? In um, Well, I think the similarities are from a PR and work perspective is that, you know, people want to be consume information that's entertaining and engaging, right? Yeah. That is across human the board. Human beings are human, human beings. beings are human beings. Yeah. So whether they've got, you know, you've got a using a reality TV star from a something in a UK, you know, Love Island, or you're in the US, you know, making content with sneakers, whatever. People want to be engaged and entertained, regardless of where they're sitting. Even if the humour might be a little bit different. Now, one of the biggest differences that I find is just like how media is consumed and it, it it's probably it's probably become more similar but when i worked in the us one of the things that really struck me was just how fragmented the media was compared to the uk and australia and how regional it was and so for example um you know i was once touring a founder of a beauty business that made a mascara that made your eyelashes grow and um, and so we, you know, we went to all the towns of the East Coast, of the West Coast, and then we went to New York and we're doing like three breakfast shows, six breakfast shows, I think it was in L.A. And then we went around the breakfast radio shows in New York. Like there was just so much media. Um, I likened it to sort of being on a, you know, a music, a, rock, a concert tour without the rock band, you know. Um, and so the, the media was very fragmented. And um, and I didn't actually, if the truth be told, venture into the middle middle America on that particular, you know, on that particular tour. We just did the, the edges. Um, but I got a good idea of if you, wherever you live, lived at that time in America, was that was the lens you were consuming your information through. And so if you lived, you know, in um, Idaho or, you know, Utah or somewhere that's sort of more in the middle versus if you lived in New York, you you were seeing information through a, a slightly different lens. And then when you look now that how information is consumed by a Facebook, you, you're now seeing your community might not be geographically together, but you are seeing things that you like. And yeah, so, psychographically, so it's combined. psychographically now, and so you're still you, you're still in an information bubble, yeah. but but it, that did strike me back then because that was something that 
I had not experienced before. I don't think Australia, even with all its regional media and even with the Western Australian being, you know, the Western Australian newspaper and Sydney Morning Herald, it, it, it still isn't, the lens wasn't so different for different groups of people based on where they lived. Um, and so that, that was probably one of the things that struck me the most at the time because it, it, it was a very different job. I mean, social media then made it, and digital media makes it now much easier for, from a PR perspective because you know you can create a piece of content and it can literally end up anywhere in the world. You know, and you can, you can if you create a piece of really good engaging content, it can become a piece of global content, which you couldn't really do that in the past. Um, but, but well, now because you as you said, uh, people are now collecting together on a, a shared psychology Absolutely. or shared interest. Uh, geography is no longer as important yeah. as it was. I mean, culture, there are still different cultures. Yeah. But it's interesting when you're saying that, you know, I was, I was just thinking through America is huge geographically, yeah. Yeah. but it's also enormous from a population point of view. Yeah, Three, yeah. Uh, 350 million plus. Um, the UK, tiny little island. Everyone squashed lots, together. Yeah, lots and lots of people though. You know, I think yeah. it's around 60 million 55, 60 yeah. million. And then Australia, relatively large, but a tiny population. Yeah. 25 and million people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and the UK, you know, people really engage with the UK media. You know, people still read The Sun and are still go, you know, look at them, the Mail Online, Daily Mail Online. I mean, it's now become one of the biggest news outlets in the world. Um, and so people do still read, you know, engage in a way that, um, that I think is also a bit unique to the UK. You know, people want to, they want the Well, gossip. you've had the royal family. You've got the royal family. You've got Randy yeah. Andy, yeah. still Randy. Yeah. You've got uh, Harry and yes. Meghan. Yeah. You know. so There's so, so much column centimetres they used to be called, but we'll call it pages and yeah. clickbait just on them. Yeah. But I think also culturally as well, you know, when... When, you, when you're in London and working in London, consuming media in London and working in the media in London, you can see there's just so much influence happening there culturally, whether it's music or film or TV or art. There's a lot of it's very rich and dense, less so than here. I always say you, you swap um, culture for nature when you come to Australia. <laughs> there's clearly a lot of great culture here. But... Um, but it's not as nice recovery. But it, but it's not as dense. There's something very dense about the culture. Yeah. In I mean, you know, we do spend half the year where we do we have we can't go outside in the UK. So um, so we do we need those TV shows, the the music. We need all of that. We need that in a way that you probably we probably don't need as much here. Um, so I think that from a PR perspective, which I said, you know, like where you know part of our job is to get that intersection where brands meet culture and create engaging storytelling from it. And I think you get a really good you get really good opportunities for that in the UK, and but then I think as well you know there's we're now getting into this global level we're not there yet but there's interesting things happening, so there was there was um, uh, I don't know whether you you read or saw saw it but the game Fortnite mm. um, streamed uh, Travis Scott, Scott concert early this year. And I think 35 million people watched it. And then since then, it's had like over 100 million downloads, yeah. right? And so then you go, okay, well, where's, that is, uh, that's got rid of geography. That isn't UK, US, Australia, right? There's no geography there. 
it's through a very certain type of uh, media. And, you know, where does a brand, how and where does a brand get involved in that, in that experience? And then, you know, and also it's highly likely, you know, that probably 70% of people consumed it through the phone. And, so, and this is the challenge, isn't yeah. it? This is the challenge where PR and advertising should be working hand in hand because yeah. just relying on paid media. Yeah. And I think what uh, PR brings to it is either a cultural understanding or a cultural yeah. context yes. that will actually bring the two together. Yes. Makes the work that you're doing, you yeah. know, basically of the future. And, and, and it's interesting, isn't it, because we hear so much about advertising and PR, yeah. or, you know, a, a, you know, dying, they're heading for, uh, you know, that agencies are yeah. disappearing, everything's going in-house or, yeah. you know, they're fragmenting and they're going to get lots of uh, marketers or have lots of people. What's your opinion on that? Well, I think it's a, a tough environment for agencies to operate in at the moment, but I think that most, most sectors are, are having, you know, their own different um, challenges. But I, I do not think that the agency is dead. I think that there is always a place for creative, agile thinkers that can plug into a business when needed. I mean, we are seeing, seeing more movement from retained work and more project work. And I think that that's just a, that's a mindset for us. We're like, okay, project-led, we're a project-led business, then how do we build our business to reflect that so that we've got a you know, more flexible workforce and that we can, you know, turn on the tap of resource when we need it and turn it down when we don't. Um, but I, you know, I there is still a place for the kind of thinking that I think agencies can bring to a business, the kind of external thinking, because we are more outward focused than a team that, you know, we can be arms and legs or we can be thinkers. Um, and there's still, I, I think there's a place for that. That is not over. Mm. So the uh, the future may look different, but it'll still be very healthy. Yeah, the future may look different. I mean, the move to, the accelerated move to digital is really making me, you know, really interrogate the kind of talent that I've got in the business. You know, I'm building the digital capabilities just people that can produce fast craft content um, because, you know, firstly, I mean, we, we run a social media business anyway as well where we produce content for social, but also now that the, you know, the media landscape has been so decimated and reshaped in the last six months, which was, you know, which was a road that media was on, but it just has been accelerated beyond uh, all belief in Australia. But, you know, the... The journalists that we're working with, they need things really well packaged. They haven't got time to, you know, add things in and, you know, they, they've got to get well packaged video, well, great photography, you know, stories that have meaning to their readers. They need it as well. I mean, Yeah, the old press release that no. was just, here's the list of what we want you to know, no. isn't enough because you no. actually have to help the journalist. Or the, you know, yes. the writers and the the you know, produce that content that consumers yeah, yeah. want to consume. Yeah, we're, it's we're, all about the attention economy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we're content. That's I mean, we are basically content producers. You know, mm. that is we always have been, but we are in just a slightly different way now. So you know, we have 
in-house production and in-house studio like we have all all of that and it's really important we and it's and and we're using it more and more and more for everything that we're doing so there's a trend and and this was a conversation i had 15 years ago which is this uh the, the conversation we got to the point of saying is there a place in the future where advertising agencies become the talent management of commercial communications? Because, you know, we have the Will, William Morrises yeah. that do it for the entertainment industry. Yeah. Could the same model exist for communications, and, and including advertising, where you just basically, the organisation represents and manages the talent and that way makes them available. And we've started to see things like this. We've seen companies start to appear, you know, whether it's influencers, you know, and the way that influencers are being managed, or whether it could be more professional and more organised. Yeah, what do you mean? Do you mean like the, the talent managing, the creative content? Creative strategy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all of those value-adding yeah. components. Because ultimately, you know, while, while clients value account management, mm. they also know that the ideas come from the strategists and the creatives working yeah. together, but they need the account management people to manage that and, and keep it focused. Yeah, well, look, I think that it's moving that way. I mean, we've had an in-house team at Coke for eight years that mm. we manage and we can move that team around. You know, currently we've got eight people in there, um, in their social centre. So that's something that... And, and, and that's in a way is a bit is a is that model it's a that we, you know we manage the talent for them based on their needs and we can shift and change that talent when when they need it um but yeah I agree I think like you say we kind of already are in a way doing mm. that but it's just not packaged up that way true and maybe it's a, just a more formalized way of what's already evolved out of yes. the existing circumstances Simone I'm so sorry we've run out of time this has been a fantastic conversation yeah I've enjoyed it so much I hope you have too. thank you yeah I have too it went fast yeah. <laughs> it went very fast but look before you go I, I have a question for you and um, you know having worked around in different places in the world and with lots of great people do you think there's one country that uh, produces the best people in the world. Mm-hmm.